0: Hello and welcome back, everyone. This is Ben Sherboga, the Chief Growth Officer here at Nexo coming to you with another This Legal Life podcast where we talk about the one thing that matters in law firms above all else, relationships and the relationships between people. Today, I am very, very excited to be sitting down with William Washington III. I went along and uh, said the the third part at the end here. Uh, William, it's really, really good to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Ben. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, so um, I first initially ran into you uh, on LinkedIn, as everybody f- finds their fast friends uh, these days, especially in the wacky world of business of law. But for those of you who, uh, for those who don't know you, you want to tell us a little bit about your background. You uh, you've had a uh, a long industrious career in the uh, in the wacky world of legal, and uh, it's um, it's really interesting. I'd I'd love to hear a little bit about your background before we get started.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to share that with you. Uh, It's interesting that you said the one most important thing is relationships. And Mm. as a CFO, I always thought the one important thing was billable hours and revenue. (laughs) (laughs) So look, I welcome the opportunity to say it's relationships. Sure. And uh, you know what, to a large degree, it really is. Mm. Um, I would tell you that i normally tell people I break my career into three different sections. You know, I spent a third of my career kind of where I was groomed at Accenture, um, working in the finance area, and then I spent a third of my career working at Fannie Mae, so a different industry, different company, but similar roles, right? I worked in fp a as an analyst and a manager and a director. And about 12, 13 years ago, I found my way into the legal industry, which was a really interesting transition, primarily because although I normally start telling my story from my Accenture days, I actually did spend five years working in the legal industry earlier in my career, and I worked in the mailroom and delivered packages for a really big law firm and thought I had arrived at like 20, 21 years old because Mm -hmm. I had to wear a suit and deliver packages to the Supreme Court and, and to other law firms. So it was kind of a full circle moment when I interviewed back in the legal industry, and now I've been here 12 or 13 years. Working my way up, I started as an assistant director to a director to a regional CFO, and now a global CFO of Baker McKenzie, one of the largest law firms in the world with over $3.5 billion in revenue. And uh, you talk about people and relationships, we have over 13,000 people here, yep. and over 6,500 of them are, are lawyers and, 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 and tax professionals.
0: Yeah, wow. So much to uh to ask about that uh that career certainly. Maybe um you know, maybe just one to sort of kick us off. What does your day look like? You know, you're the global CFO. Uh very few people uh will ever get to that position let alone sit in that. You were um you know, and you've been doing it uh, at, at a few firms. What what does what does the global CFO what does that role entail? And then maybe you know just to um, just just to just to placate me. Um, you know what what does relationships mean in this role? Because everybody thinks CFO, everybody thinks numbers, everything's billable hours, P all the rest of it. But I have a sneaking suspicion that you know it's a lot about managing people. It's a lot about relationships. It's a lot about stakeholders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Am I wrong, right? What do you, what do you think?
1: Uh, you're absolutely right. So I, I'll start off telling you that everyone in my family is in finance. So mm. my wife's in finance. My oldest son is in finance. My daughter's in finance. Um, I have another daughter in undergrad who's majoring in finance. And then I have an 11 year old who just doesn't know it yet, but she's in <laughs> finance. You know, and and, and the reason I say that is because I find it even hard to explain to them what the global CFO does or what their careers may look like uh, as they start off their career, because careers can take different paths for different people. And especially in finance, there's a lot of different pathways. I fortunately was told early in my career by a mentor of mine to point my cell in, in one direction or the other. Interesting enough, I pointed it towards the CFO uh, direction and, and here I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would tell you it wasn't a straight journey. I thought I could be the CFO at Accenture. Um, and I worked there about six or seven years. And it wasn't that I was close or far. I really didn't see a path based on my education, based on the department I worked in, based on what I was doing. Um, when I went to Fannie Mae, same thing. I, I, I wanted to quickly move up. I was already getting to the director level and again thought I would see a path to the CFO suite because that's what my mentor had said to look for. I mean, when I came into the legal industry about six years after I I worked at Fannie Mae, I actually saw the path like really as soon as I came into the industry and I didn't know what it meant. I just knew I still had my sales pointed in that direction. Now that I'm in a position, um, Although I interviewed for it, I think I knew a little bit about what it entails. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no way to explain to you what a day looks like. Every day is completely different. It's very much people driven. Um, It's important for me to understand the numbers. It's important for me to understand all the other functions that happen within finance, such as tax, we have accounting, we have reporting, we have uh, 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 accounts payable and accounts receivable. Um, We have billing and collections. So there's, there's a lot of different areas that people who report to me handle. Um, But as much as I focus on the numbers, I really have to trust that I built the right team. Because I tell people we're 24 hour 24 hour seven days a week business, you know, we're in 46 different countries, there's no way that I go to sleep at night. And uh, and and help keep this business going. It's really all the great people that work for me, um, that that keep the business going around the clock and and in all our different jurisdictions. So in that sense, I really did have to one build a team first and foremost. There was a team here when I got here, but they you know different people work better for for different types of leaders. Um, and I think I would go back and, and just hit on one point on that too because. I did a 360 and worked with an executive coach when I was a director Mm. and he did it. He's, he's very much a people person. He's a touchy feely executive coach.
0: Got it. He's more
1: like writes me letters. I feel like he's always giving me a hug, Yeah. you know, but the one thing he did during that 360 that I had never done before is he took the 360 and he mapped it on a wheel and he said, William, here's where you fit on this circle. And I was very much on the bottom of the circle and I thought it looked good. It said I had good management and good understanding of this and good understanding of that. He says, but you see this blank area up here, right? Like this is what it takes to be the CFO. Mm. He says, the skills that got you to where you are, all the, all the understanding of the analysis, the ability to do Excel spreadsheets, the ability to work on a team. He goes, those were great for getting you to where you are, but he said, you're going to need to work on these skills um, in order to become the, the CFO that you're shooting for. And you know what the number one skill on there was? And, and it's almost embarrassing. I, I, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud. The number one skill up there was basically like integrity and authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm a very I, I sure. got all the integrity sure. in the world. I go to church. My, <laughs> my father's a pastor, you know? Right, right. Um, but he said, he said, that's not coming through to the people who work for you. Yeah. You know, he said, yeah. these things are, he said, but really, you're going to have to work on showing them that you're authentic and that you have integrity, not just having it. And that was that was a turning point in my
0: career. Wow. This is uh this is a perfect segue to actually what uh what I uh, wanted to talk to you uh, today about. And it's a lot about vulnerability. It's a lot about authenticity. And it's a lot about how to show up in a world where you might be, might be an introvert. Now, um, like I said, I found you on, on LinkedIn. Um, anybody who's not following William, go ahead and please follow him. He puts out some really, really authentic, really great content. And when I saw it, I, I mean, William, William will confirm this. You know, I reached out to him. I shot him a video, uh, on LinkedIn DM him, And I said, Hey, I just, I need to talk to you. You know, I think that you're the type of person that, uh, that podcast listeners need to need to hear of. Um, and especially within the legal industry, so you know that might be a good, that might be a good wedge into into what we wanted to talk about today. So you put out a post, and that's what we're going to revolve around, which is this idea of being an introvert in the business world, and even being an introvert within uh, the legal world, which can be characterized as high personalities high competition, um lots of extroversion, and l- at least if you're thinking about maybe litigators and, you know, big personalities, very opinionated, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I want to ask you the initial question before getting to introversion, you know, what when what compelled you to to write posts like that? And and I think you sort of alluded it to it, but I think it's important. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to write that post?
1: No, that's another good question. Um, I would tell you that when I first thought about building out my LinkedIn profile, which happens to be the, the only social media I really use. I'm not on Facebook or anything else. Yeah. Um, my kids send me TikTok videos all the time. And that's the that's their way. They don't even send me mm-hmm. messages. They just send me a TikTok video. And in there, there's the message they want me to understand.
0: Exactly. Um, I think but- you got it, though. I think you got it. I think you got it. That's That's exactly what it is. It's layered messaging.
1: I do have a TikTok that I did with my kids. Gotcha. And I did share that with my team, talking about trying to reach them and be authentic. Um, but when I went to build up my LinkedIn profile, I had a choice. You know, I could post regularly about the stock market and changes in the economy, which I study a lot, and I could provide a lot of information on that. Or I could post about my law firm and the performance of the law firm. Um, or I could post, The posts that you've seen which is you know it's it's really about us the the people that are working about leadership about teams about the people who are aspiring to be leaders um and i think it just resonated with me that that i I didn't want linkedin to become facebook Mm. but i wanted linkedin to be a representation of some of the things that i feel strongly about and so, so I, it's, it's interesting The introvert post is, is the one that somewhat goes viral. You yeah, know, I felt right. like I had arrived when <laughs> Susan Kane commented on my, Susan Kane, wow. the author yes, of Quiet right.
0: yes, um, right, commented right. on my post,
1: not once, but twice now you wow. know? Um, <laughs> and, and I thought I, I had arrived, but the goal of posting about being an introvert wasn't like the defining moment or the moment where I felt I Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. it was when I decided to start posting on LinkedIn.
0: Right, and interesting. I was being vulnerable
1: and authentic. That just happened to be the one that seems to be something that people really feel strongly about, and it makes sense to me now because it's the one that can come in conflict with the personalities that are expected at work.
0: Yes, totally. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about, you know, I wanted to take this in two places. The first was talk about introversion. And I think you had something really interesting to say. You identify, I actually identify, despite the fact that I have a podcast and go around speaking and all of this kind of stuff, I do I do recognize as, as being introverted. And for me, that is that is that I recharge mostly whenever I'm by myself, that I, I find a lot of solace um, in um in sitting with myself, I, you know, I enjoy sort of introspection. And uh, despite that, you know, I I do have to go out and typically uh, go to speeches, client, uh, do podcasts, etc, etc, report to investors, etc, all of this kind of stuff. It's all part of the job. But, you know, that was the first thing. But the second thing I I wanted to talk about is is vulnerability and vulnerability within the workplace. So why don't we just take that? Because that's kind of like, it it, it builds off of what you just said. You know what what is for William? What's the what's the level of vulnerability and authenticity today in twenty twenty three in the workplaces that we have? You know what does what does that mean today? Um, what does it mean to really show up and be vulnerable and be authentic and in a way that's good for your teams and good for business and you know even even good for the end client, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, what what's your what's your thoughts on the idea of vulnerability today?
1: Somebody once described for me the term vulnerable means giving someone enough information to destroy you and trusting that they won't use it. Mm. And for me, that was a great definition because I could almost put anything that I think about saying or doing through that lens um, and, and know when I feel like I have the opportunity to be vulnerable definitely I can do it with my wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm very, very fortunate now that I can do it with the team that I work with here at work, both the people that report to me and the people that I report to. Um, but I do think that a lot of us don't feel safe enough to be vulnerable in a workplace. And, and I didn't for a very long time, you know, I'm a black man in America, you know, I, I'm a professional trying to navigate the workspace. Um, the last thing I wanted to do was to come to work and let someone have information that could destroy me, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and so I kept my guards around me for a really long time in my career. I did do some things that that I remember that really resonated. I remember, for instance, at my very first job, I was reading some book and it said, bring the CEO, I was lucky enough to know the CEO, Mm -hmm. but it was just, whether it's the CEO or your boss, Said, so bring them to your house. He said, once you bring them to your house and they see you in your family environment with your kids, yeah, people you're yeah. doing the work for. Right. I mean, meaning I work to feed my kids, right. you know, then when you're late for work or if you make a mistake by showing them who you truly are, it'll make them potentially react differently because they know you at a deeper level than just the person that didn't show up for work on time or the people or the person that 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 made a mistake. I think taking little baby steps like that really helped me start to be vulnerable. But I didn't truly get vulnerable until um, I was safe in, in 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 my environment, meaning the people that are around me. And that took a really long time and I can understand why many of your listeners or many people that have responded to my posts don't quite feel that yet. You know, um, I mentor or, or participate in a group with some young professionals. And even when I hear them speak, you know, we talk about imposter syndrome. I've spoken on panels about imposter syndrome. People are imposters because they're scared to be themselves. Sure. And you know what? As a leader, I can tell you, I would rather lead a team of people being themselves so I can put the right pieces in the right places than to lead a team where people are trying to be something that they aren't. You know, but you have to get to a point where you're trusting of the environment. And I think that goes a lot into when we interview, making sure we interview, making sure as we're being interviewed, we're also genuinely interviewing the people we're going to work with or for and asking them about the culture and asking them about the environment. And really asking some real, real questions that that might help you decide whether or not it's going to be a safe environment. Yeah.
0: Okay, so... (laughs) so much we got we got a hard stop today and maybe we'll have you on on episode two of the podcast and so i want to get to the second pillar which is you know it if it flows very nicely from being vulnerable and that that was what you shared in that post about introversion in in the business environment you know do you want to talk a little bit about either misconceptions or how you sort of learned to navigate that environment what does that mean um I know it's a, I mean, it resonated with me deeply as, as somebody who, 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 who resonates in that way. And, you know, I was just saying, you know, if William can do it, then definitely I can do it. And if you can figure out the tools and resources and the mindsets that he needs, then that's that's fantastic. But yeah, do you want to talk a little bit I mean, about, about that and how you've sort of recognized that? And I mean, that's probably one of the more vulnerable things that you can sort of admit about yourself, especially with today the taboo sort of being introversion equals not leader. You know, I mean, that's crude, yeah, but yeah, you know, there, there's something to that, basically.
1: Yeah, people try to define who we should be for us, you know, and I think that that's a mistake. Um, and I also think that I never saw anybody in a leadership position above me that identified as an introvert. And I think it's like you said, you know, for many introverts, if, if they've even recognized that they're an introvert, you know, they don't really know how to explain it in a way that, the similar way that you explained it. It's just my, the way I choose to recharge. And you talked about being on a podcast You know, uh, you know, earlier in my career, I also had a stint on the radio where Mm. you know I used to work (laughs) on the power source one oh three point nine W A C R It's time for the you know that's uh, (laughs) That's what that voice is. Yeah, that's what that voice is. I had a nickname on that radio show that I'd never repeat, that'd be too vulnerable and and I don't know who may listen to your podcast. Um and it's interesting because I got that nickname because in addition to being an on-air personality, I had to work for the radio station at the club, and so when I was at the club, I, I put on a false persona yeah. to cover up the fact that I really didn't always have the energy to be there, and they they considered that false persona to be almost, uh, you know, yeah, right, very uh a uh, different, you know, yeah, and straight, so but right, it, right. it really gave me a lot of fame in the radio, mm-hmm. but I really prefer being behind the mic, working in a booth you know, by myself, that was had a lot to do with how I recharge. So let me tell you a couple, t- two or three things about what I learned. Yeah. One, I didn't learn that I was truly an introvert until later in my life. Mm-hmm. Never thought about it. I just really thought about navigating the work world and the social world in a way that people predefined. I would go to happy hours after work with everybody. I would drink probably more than I should have mm-hmm. to get myself comfortable. I was known for ducking out the back door while everybody was like in the middle of whatever. And again, I just I just I just associated with like, oh, Williams, the guy who ducks out the door. Um, and and the drinking probably masked a lot of my my true personal feelings. And I stopped drinking about 10 years ago, and that's when I first started noticing, you know what? I you know, and it's not like I don't like being social or like going to happy hours with friends. It's just not my first choice all the time. Most of the time it's not. And so as I stopped drinking, I also stopped wanting to go to random happy hours, to random dinners with people I didn't even know. Um, And that's when it started clicking. And I started reading Susan Cain's book because it was on my wife's bookshelf. Um, And then I started using the term with her. And then as I used it more, I realized it resonated more. And so when I finally got to a position and a job where I could be my authentic self, uh, you know, I shared with, you know, my immediate team around me, mainly the people I report to that, hey, really, like after we do 12 hours of meetings in a day, I'd really rather like go back to my room and read a book, call my family, go to the gym, even order a burger and fries and just veg out in front of the TV and do my thing. Like, you know, these are things that really spark joy. And I noticed that when they would send the work bus that picked everybody up for dinner off, I'd be peeking out the door and and looking at them as they left, happy that I didn't have to be on the bus. And that's when I really started owning it and and admitting to myself that, you know what? Work dinners, happy hours are nice things to go to when when, when that's what I choose. But if I just tell people my default is, I don't do work dinners. I don't do happy hours, primarily after 12-hour days. I'll do one if it's the only thing we're doing. Um, And and by being open about that instead of making excuses, it really started to uh, get traction and and help me be my authentic self. And I'm immensely happier, like so much happier than I've ever been before because I can be who I really am yeah and it helps me bring my best self to work
0: i was going to ask you to close the loop on there because you know i think a lot of people I mean, social pressure is real, real, of course. We're we're just we're just primates, and you know, I mean, it's, it's that's what that's where we're at. You know, the group dynamics are a lot of what we sort of exist in, and it can be hard to sort of pipe up, it's not let alone with your family or friends and people who know, like, and trust you and say no. But it can be even more difficult in the context of sort of a business environment. But you know, I think, like so many things in life, it is a mindset shift, and what you said at the end there, sort of really 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 hit which is this idea and and it let me bring my best self to work and I think you know i I'm now in a privileged position to be a leader at my own organization, I'm much smaller, <laughs> much smaller than the All firm right. but well, but That's a big deal. what I find is when people are vulnerable and when they are authentic and whenever they feel like there is a there is an environment where they can be, the net result of it is not. Oh, you know, Ben doesn't like to go to the sixth happy hour. William William, you know, is going to duck out a little bit early after after, you know, three offsites. What what the net result of it is, well, William just knows the best way that he um works and that's good for everybody because William's going to show up much better. So, you know, for I guess what I'm trying to say in so many garbled words is, you know, at the end of the day, the leaders in your team are really going to they're going to resonate with the fact that you understand how you work best. And that's going to, that's going to help. Um, and that, and that matters a lot in the workplace. Does that sort of, does that, what, what do you think i mean,
1: does yeah, that? Absolutely. Does that sort of nail Let it? me yeah. point out two, two truths that, that go with that. Yeah. One truth is they don't miss William when he's not at the dinner. <laughs> it, it, either that, or they're not having a good time with the person to their left and their right, that they would even spend time thinking about what William's doing. Like they don't miss william at that dinner and then i also want to clarify that you know we're professionals we know when we need to be somewhere you know if i'm trying to close a deal if i if i hire a new person i'm not going to leave that new person out on a limb and not take them to the social event and introduce them to everyone so there are times where we know that we should be there because it's an extension of our work you know but if it's not an extension of your work and you own that, then go do something that really helps you recharge and, and get yourself back together and show up with, with your dancing shoes on the next morning when the meeting starts again at 7 a.m. and be grateful that you did something for yourself. That's a great feeling. If you haven't experienced it yet, that's a great feeling. I do it all the time. And, and a lot of people come back after a night of pushing themselves to the limit and, and I think they they even start to think differently. And that goes for both extroverts and introverts, actually.
0: Yeah, it does, actually. Well, you know, I got five minutes left with you, and I want to make sure that we put the little bow on this. I think that that was a really good place. But, you know, what's when you think about where you've been at, and we can just talk general advice now, but, you know, what what would be one thing that you would tell your younger self you talked a little bit about uh, i i know a little bit about about your background we were talking it uh, about it a little off camera and then you also told me about um uh, how you got started but you know what what's one piece of advice in this whole thing uh that you would go back and tell your 20 year old self maybe even working in the mailroom or even before that um uh at the record store you know what's what in this world of vulnerability and and sort of showing up authentically is there anything that you know you would succinctly tell yourself
1: yeah i think i think that uh what well, i tell myself through my kids all the time, advice. Mm, right. and, you know, through TikToks, through majoring. TikToks. Yeah, <laughs> they're all majoring in finance, and if I got to talk to them through a TikTok, I got some moves for them too <laughs> because, of, because of my radio days. Um, but 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 I actually gave this advice to a good friend of mine who's actually a partner in a distinguished uh, uh, professional services firm earlier today. You know, I said at my age, when I look back ten years the world doesn't look the same way it did when I was 10 years younger looking forward, you know, and it's helpful to sit down and really think about your world 10 years from now and like really write it down. Like, like what will be different, you know, because that'll help you make your choices within a paradigm and and direction. Like I told you about setting myself towards CFO, you know, like, like things become a reality more when you can look forward. And the best way to look forward is to find someone who looks like you or whose career looks like you or whose personal life or the way they navigate life looks like you and then follow some of the patterns and paths that you see in them. I constantly pick from people who are about 20 years older than me, whether they're former bosses, whether it's my parents, whether it's some other adult. And I pick and choose little pieces of their life. And I'd and I say, this is what I want my life to look like 20 years from now. And that way I'm able to order my steps. And then I know whether I put a vulnerable post out, whether I yeah, make a decision yeah, right, to go right, to a right, dinner, right. whether I take a job or not, how it fits into that bigger picture. And that's, that's really, really worked for me. Um, a lot of people think I just happen to end up here as a, as a global CFO. Or they think that it was destined to begin with. You know, it was never the case until I actually interviewed and got the job. Any other time, I was like, I, I tell people my career has been 30 years long the very smallest portion of that career was as a cfo yeah. the majority of it was in other positions yeah. and so we have to be able to see forward from wherever we're standing at the moment yeah
0: sometimes the models are right right sometimes it's uh good models can really work for us yeah, <laughs> you know, we are...
1: yeah i have a whole discussion for you about
0: models i know you just got finished. I, know, I know
1: i know storm but uh I got a whole other discussion about models that we can talk you. about sometime.
0: Totally. Well, with that, I got to get you back on here because there's a lot more that I'd love to talk to you about. And, uh, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being on the podcast. And, yeah, William Washington, thank you so much for being here.
1: All right. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. It was yeah. good talking to you.
0: Yeah, you too. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. We'll be back with another This Legal Life. In the meantime, like and subscribe if you like this. And of course, go back and listen to all of our other wonderful episodes. Take care, everybody. We'll talk soon. See you.